0: Yo, Lindsay, you almost done in there? <laughs> Welcome back to episode three, Granola Hose. It's the more than human world. It's the more than human world. Yeah, I know you're thinking. Of course, there's more than humans in this world. Yeah, 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 yeah. We know that. But I invite you to consider the possibility that. When I say the more than human world, I'm suggesting that humans are not, by some weird false limiting belief, superior to any other species that we coexist with on this planet. That this is not some formulated food chain with humans at the top as top predator, but rather an intricate web of life. And, and I think that. This weird false limiting belief that humans, um, otherwise known as species supremacism, <laughs> if you've never heard it, it's it's really bled into how we treat this planet and how we exist on and within Earth systems with other species. I really think that this false belief has led us to believe that we are entitled to over-consuming and polluting, ultimately destroying the environment with within which we exist and i really think that this paradigm shift of considering the more than human world considering ourselves as yet another animal that exists on this beautiful earth i think that this paradigm shift could really invite positive change in how we how we exist and interact with the environment um i would like to specify that I think that this belief is a very prominent thing of quote-unquote Western society, um, stemming from old European religious beliefs that have since moved to North America via settler-colonial migration, and really, really, really worked its way as the Industrial Revolution began and became a foundation for, um, maybe I could say quote-unquote, a modern western society. I don't know. But stay tuned for this excerpt from the Forest Therapy Guide Manual that I was given in my training, written by Ben Page, published by the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy as we explore this concept more deeply. Let's go. All right, so as I started saying in the introduction, I'm going to be reading an excerpt written by Ben Page on the more than human world that I was um privileged enough to learn about and hear firsthand while I was completing my forest therapy guide training. It was super awesome. Oh my gosh, pardon me. Oh my goodness. I'm getting too comfortable on this podcast. I just burped and I'm not editing it out. Oh no. Disgusting. Mm. And you still rock with me? I hope you still rock with me. Mm. Anyway, yeah, it was super cool. Uh, Obviously, forest therapy as a concept goes much farther beyond just exploring our place within this web of life. It's bringing awareness to our sensory experiences, slowing down, being mindful of the present, our body, our surroundings, and interacting more intentionally with a natural environment, Um, ultimately having very restorative, really um, enlightening, sometimes um, healing experiences in nature. By the way, if anybody who's listening to this would be interested in partaking in a guided forest therapy session please 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 reach out to me my instagram is at lindsay pettis l-i-n-d-s-a-y-p-e-t-t-i-s no spaces no periods no cap am i right i'm serious i really want to get out and do more of this but before i get to that excerpt and before we explore the concept a little bit more i'm probably gonna go on a bit of a ramble, a bit more about how climate change ties into all of this, you know, because I mean, there's so many intricacies, so many intersectionalities involved with the human nature connection, right? This is affecting us as humans, how we function in this world, and it's affecting the world, how we interact with this world. It's affecting the the natural environments for the worse. For those of you who don't know, I use the term. Well, I don't just use the term. A lot of people use the term anthropogenic climate change when referring to climate change or environmental problems anthropogenic environmental degradation anthro you know like anthropology anthro referring to like human so anthropogenic climate change means human caused a lot of people would try and argue with me and be like "Mm, climate cycles are natural and i'm like yeah correct Naturally, the Earth's climate does cycle between periods of high, high levels of carbon dioxide and then plummeting into ice ages and then rewarming again and melting. However, as it stands right now, the changes that we are seeing are human-caused. They are not a product of natural cycles of climate change. If you would feel inclined to do so, you can look up online some climate models or some, some models that have tried to estimate what a natural climate cycle would have looked like on this planet without humans' interference. Some people hypothesize that, hypothetically, the Earth should actually be in Ice Age currently, but because of our use of fossil fuels, we're actually warming the planet. So some people, <laughs> I've even heard some people argue that's a benefit. Like, sorry, someone's taking a shower next door, man. The stew is too loud. Let me, hold up, hold up. Let me take a beat. Everything's all fucked up, right? We can agree on that. Everything's all fucked up. So not only do we have to decolonize and give the land back and give sovereignty rights and stewardship back to indigenous peoples of any land. This is not Canadian specific right now, everybody. Shout out to other countries who may be listening. You also need to decolonize both your mind, we have to decolonize our minds and our culture and our society and our political structure and our economy, everything. It's a mindset, okay? And I personally honestly think that forest therapy is one way to integrate into a process of decolonizing because, hear me out, I can honestly say from my experience The more of a nature connection that I form, the more time I spend valuable in nature, like valuable time in nature that I spend, the more my love and concern for the natural environment grows. So in the context of environmentalism specifically, maybe not the other aspects of decolonization, but would it not be beneficial to introduce a forest therapy practice that could help heal humans and our culture simultaneously. I mean, the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy would really like to see forest therapy practices and the philosophy of it all become part of the modern medical health care system, to be honest. I talk about this a little bit in the series as well, in the introduction, but I'll briefly touch on it here. There is so much literature So much literature to suggest that Merely just looking at an image of nature Could have even still some substantial benefits And produce a feeling of nature connection Which is pretty cool in my opinion So I want to read an excerpt from my handbook From the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy This was written by... Ben Page, one of my instructors and mentors actually, who's in California and works for the association and does guiding and such. Very insightful individual. So he writes, what is forest therapy? And this is to give everyone more of an idea and some exposure for the first time maybe to the concept. Before I carry on, though, I would like to just add to point out for a proper introduction, like the introduction I would give if you were to come to me for a forest therapy walk in person, where I explain a little bit more of the history. I introduce the history, the concept of invitations, some specific healthcare benefits in the first part introduction of the five series five-part five part series, excuse me, of force therapy. So right now, I'm just going to be covering more broadly the concepts, like philosophical <laughs> debates, so to speak. I just want these things to make you think the way that made they made me think. I want these to just be arrows to your heart where you can go about your day and maybe one of these things will really stick with you and you'll just be thinking about it and have some realizations some new insights maybe gleamed from this. I just hope that at least one other person is at least as excited as me about this. Because this is what we needed. This is what the doctor ordered. And it's exactly for the same reasons that we're trying to decolonize. So for everyone getting it twisted, like my parents, who are like, I'm not going back to Iceland or the Ukraine. Like, fuck, chill. You don't have to. Nobody... Nobody else is as fucking shitty as white settler colonialists. We're not going to fucking pillage you off your land and force you away. We. Oui, I'm including myself in we. Oui. See, I'm on... <laughs> I don't even identify with white people anymore. I identify officially... I would like to officially identify as a spicy white. Okay? in epice blanche. You know what I'm saying? Like a little salsa picante blanco, eh? You know, like I'm on your side. I don't want to be identified with white people as an entity. I'm a white person individually. Yes, I will not lose that. Obviously, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start like black fishing out here, guys. Chill. But also, I also refer to white people and say I hate white people, and I don't include myself in them. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like the entity of white people is like what secular colonial patriarchy represents. You know what I'm saying? And like a lot of people who are still within that matrix, who are still brainwashed in that belief system and narrative, they are white people that are problematic and that have not had the same kind of awareness or care or empathy and don't try and change. And that's why we need to help them understand the importance of changing and realize that this isn't just about people trying to get retaliation, right? Of course, egos involved. I've already told you this. Our country is run by 12-year-olds, so to speak. I was raised by fucking emotionally stunted people, too, who need to work on themselves. But who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Not I. I'm not judging. I'm just making observations. I think that forest therapy is everything that we need. It's what the doctor ordered. This will do so much for so many different aspects of our existence, And keep listening to find out why, because I'm going to now keep reading Ben Page's writing of what is forest therapy in the handbook. Today, the term forest therapy is something of an umbrella term that covers a diversity of techniques. While there is certainly some degree of overlap in the emergent forest therapy methodologies worldwide, below is an explanation of the forest therapy as defined by the association of nature and forest therapy. gotta stay hydrated forest therapy is a pathway to personal health and well-being as well as one towards pro-environmental and pro-social change at a societal level in its most basic form forest therapy mobilizes the human body's innate affinity for natural environments to restore healthy physiological functions Since humans have evolved to live in natural environments for thousands of years, it is not surprising that our bodies require such environments for health and well-being. In recent generations, however, we have rapidly shifted towards urbanized and digitized environments that do not provide our bodies with the biological stimuli required for health. This is to say, in its most basic form, forest therapy is simply a method for reintroducing people to the forest and other natural environments. As people become estranged from nature, forest therapy becomes an increasingly important way to just get outside so that their bodies can access essential stimuli like sunlight, fresh air, organic compounds released by plants such as terpenes and phytoncides. If you've never heard the... This is me speaking now, Lindsay... If you've never heard the term phytoncides, please tune in to the first part of my forest therapy series. I, in the description, I believe, explain what I talk about specifically in the episode, but one thing I do talk about is phytoncides. I explain the science behind them, how they interface with the human biology, and how it benefits us. So stay tuned. If I haven't released it, if I already released it, woohoo, okay, we're existing in the chaotic good here, (laughs) y'all. Oh, stay hydrated, though. I'm coming for you, (laughs) Crystalia. Joking. All right. And yet, forest therapy is much more than just a walk in the woods. While most of the physiological benefits come from the simple exposure to the natural environment, a guided forest therapy walk also works to mend the damaged relationships humans have with themselves, with the concept of time, with their communities, and with the more than human world. This is where a skilled guide trained to work in partnership with the land becomes a valuable asset. Let us take a moment to discuss how each of these relationships may benefit from the pedagogy and technique of forest therapy. So to begin, we'll talk about the relationship with ourselves. When we slow down with nothing preoccupying our minds, we encounter ourselves in our daily lives. We so rarely have the time to do this. We are usually too busy rushing from one thing to the next to ask a very simple question, who am I today? When we ask this question surrounded by the forest and the beings within it, we begin to see our deeper selves reflected back to us. I like to call this effect, the psychological mirror. We might call this emergence of the ecological self. So I want to highlight two terms there. The psychological mirror in nature. And the emergence of the ecological self. It is a way of seeing who we are. Without the labels that society places upon us. While we are on a forest therapy walk, we put aside the identifying social markers we carry with us in the tamed world. And quick aside, the tamed world, because I don't think I've defined it, refers to the modernized, industrialized, civil, I guess, quote unquote, civilized life that most of us live. A lot of us are not living off the land. Although I want to, henceforth, we start the eco-village. Okay, back to the story. In the forest, we are nothing more than our essential ecological selves, and this identif- oh excuse me and this identity is easily observed in the mirror of the forest. One thing that I notice over and over again is that the forest illuminates how we are part of it, bound by the same principles of life that honor all beings <sighs> whoa um. One of the most common revelations I witness in participants comes from time spent with trees. They say something like, I'm noticing that not a single tree is perfect. They all have scars, they are all damaged in some way, they are all resilient. And they're all beautiful, each in their own unique way. This type of observation leads people towards their ecological self, towards an acknowledgement that they too are imperfect, impermanent, and in a constant state of change. And that their own beauty is bound to these characteristics. This is one finite example, but there are infinite ways that many people begin to see how their ecological selves are illuminated through reflections in the forest. When they are not focused on knowing, as much as they are focused on being. Ooh, I got shivers. I hope this is hitting home with everyone because it sure hit home with me the first time I heard it. I believe they would say shooketh. (laughs) Additionally, the journey towards this deeper self may also be galvanized by a childlike sense of freedom in liminality these participants often experience during forest therapy walks. Now quick aside I paused after the word liminality because for those of you unfamiliar with the term liminality and I'm sure a lot of you are unfamiliar with liminality in the context of forest therapy I will once again direct you to the first part of my forest therapy series where I introduce this concept. Back to the story. Because there are no rules or, con- or restraints upon the process of being during a walk, participants have the opportunity to allow their bodies to lead them. We call this embodiment. In a state of embodiment, our identity becomes detached from our thoughts about ourselves and becomes connected to our relationships with place and beings in this moment. When self judgment and critical analysis is abstracted from consciousness, we begin to simply be ourselves naturally. And who we are when we are in such a state can be surprising because in our daily lives, we almost have no space for such expressions to emerge. More often than not, we're wearing masks or playing roles that are expected of us. On a forest therapy walk, we can take off those masks and let the wind touch our face. And for some people, they have not felt this in decades. The next thing we're going to talk about is the relationship with time. Most of the time in our daily lives, we are never here in this moment. Generally, we are somewhere else, either anticipating what is coming next or reminiscing what has already passed but when we are not here we are missing the full sensation of being alive one of the principal guiding maxims of my work comes from joseph campbell's quote he wrote i don't think people are seeking the meaning of life as much as they are seeking the experience of being alive when we become fully embodied we have nowhere to be but this moment And then we feel fully alive. If you think about it, we cannot hear something in the past or in the future. We can only hear in this moment. We can remember a sound we heard or anticipate a sound that might come in the future, but these things are not real. They are constructed of the mind and abstracted from our direct relationship with the present moment. The same goes for all the senses. Our senses are the direct gateway to the present moment. In forest therapy, by minimizing the search for meaning and emphasizing embodiment, we help people find themselves here and now, and through such an act, come alive. One of my mentees in her initiation as a trainer said, we bring people to their senses. And I love this double entendre. We bring people to their senses, both in the means that we bring them to their physical senses, but also through that act, we bring people to the experience of life itself. Many people practice mindfulness meditation for this exact purpose, to put aside the cycle of thought and rumination that obstruct them from the present. From presence. But for many people, the thought of achieving mindfulness becomes an impediment to actually achieving it. In forest therapy, we employ what might be considered a coyote technique of mindfulness. Hmm. We never talk about mindfulness or meditation, but by bringing people's attention to fully their senses, bringing people's attentions fully to their senses, and thus into a state of embodiment, they don't struggle with the thought of desire to arrive at presence. It just happens. Relationships with the community is the next thing we're going to talk about. One of the elements of forest therapy that is often least expected by participants is that it works to mend relationships between human beings. Most people tend to pigeonhole force therapy into nature connection work without fully realizing that humans are nature, and so there can be no nature connection without human connection as well. One of our primary ways this relationship mending comes into work is through the practice of circle. Circle is a methodology for teaching people how to listen to each other without judgment or competition. In circle, we hold a deep intention to simply listen to each other without re- any responding. This creates an open space for people to express whatever they wish and allows others to begin to learn about how powerful the simple act of witnessing can be. Quick aside here, my words now. Once again, so much of this stuff will make more sense if you have or when you will listen to my series, my forest therapy series, the first episode in particular. The first part of the series, I will cover. Um, this concept of circle and I and I will explain that obviously since this is over a podcast um, any experience of force therapy will be a very diluted teaser type version of the entire experience that would be provided in person so circle is something that you and I may not be able to share directly but still I want you to learn about the concept and how it fits into it all so that Perhaps if you choose to reach out to me if you live around me and you'd like to hire me as your forest therapy guide for yourself or a group of people or a f- corporate retreat or your family or whether you'd like to reach out to people in your community if you, a- anywhere in the world. The association has done training programs all over the world and I could guarantee you at least one person in your state or province is a certified forest therapy guide. So all you have to do is jump on the internet, do some researching and try and find out Where you could possibly participate in this in person to have the full experience. Because again, this is merely a glimpse at the world of forest therapy. I'm trying to provide a hybridized version on my podcast just to introduce people to the concept. I really need to reiterate, I'm not ripping off the entire experience you would get in person on this podcast. Because... (laughs) <laughs> for the full for the full, for a full guided forest therapy session it would obviously be it would be valued at a paid experience and because there are other guides around i cannot give the full experience unpaid because that would be devaluing their work so please i'm reiterating to reap the full benefits of everything we're talking about right now you need to participate in this in person you need to pay for the service and have a guide Because, yes, you can still reap benefits from nature exposure, but to take it to a depth where you cognitively become aware of it, I I don't know if, I mean, some of you will still be able to do that with me, just talking in your ear. Some of you will want to explore it more. You'll have a taste and you'll want to experience the whole thing. Maybe you'll want to become a guide and you could absolutely sign up for a course. I encourage you to look into it. Thank you for listening to that aside. I'm going back to the words written by Ben Page in the handbook now. Learning how to listen to each other is a revolutionary action. While most participants do not fully realize its significance in the moment, when we begin to listen without responding, we are reflexively beginning to practice non-judgment. I'll say that again. When we begin to listen without responding, we are reflexively beginning to practice non-judgment. Think about that. When there is no option but to simply listen to what another person is experiencing, we are actually practicing empathy. This is particularly potent in the practice of circle because the facilitator, the guide, is also engaged in the process. The facilitator is not teaching anything, but instead creating an open space. As guides and participants become more adept to the practice of circle, they may even begin to listen to the voice of the circle itself for what might be called the intersection of all stories. Oh, I get shivers. Throughout this act of listening at the center of the circle, people may begin to see how our humanity is based upon shared emotional experience. I'm sorry, but if you haven't already, go listen to my second episode. Oh my gosh, I was talking about collective experience and parallel experiences, aren't, wasn't I? This is exactly what I'm talking about. This can be exemplified in circle. Whoa, I'm stoked. Okay, back to the back to the program. Excuse me. We all draw from a very human palette of emotional experience, including joy, grief, sadness, curiosity, excitement, contentment, despair, playfulness, and many more. These stories are what draw us closer to one another through the lived experience of empathy. I literally said this in episode two. Guys, go listen right now if you haven't already. In our society today, too often people perceive others through the desire, oh excuse me, through the diversive lens, the divisive lens. Oh my goodness. You know all of them are relevant. But the paper says through the divisive lens. Pardon me the divisive lenses such as politics, religion, and culture. But ultimately, human beings are not that different when we begin to truly listen to each other's stories. I literally said this! Wow, <clears throat> sorry, I'm, I'm shook. I didn't even mean to. I didn't even realize that these two things would be connected, but here I am, recording this one directly after the other one. Relationships with the more than human world as we carry on through the different aspects of forest therapy. Paraphrasing Baba Dioum, Jacques Cousteau once said, people will only protect what they love. But what is love when we apply the concept to beings beyond humans? What does it truly mean to love a tree, or a bird, or a mountain, or a river? Ben Page says, when I trained guides, I often ask them to think of a person that they love. And then I ask them to engage in a thought experiment. Imagine that I give you a book with a complete history of this person, but you have never seen them, never touched them, never heard their voice, you've never had sensory contact whatsoever. Could you love this person? Hmm, could you? I don't know, pause and think about it. Most people tend to agree that no. They could not fall in love with someone who they have had no sensory experience of, even if they intellectually know everything about them. But this points to a fundamental problem in how we are raised to think about our relationships in the more than human world. In our education, we are made to relate to these things conceptually, through books and research, but most teachers never take kids outside into the forest and allow them to explore it with only their senses. And so, most relationships people have with other beings tend to be intellectual and not of genuine love. And when I say beings, I mean humans and nature included. Themselves and others. (laughs) quick aside I said this in episode two I think I was talking about green schools <laughs> I'll read you guys my pre- the presentation I made on green schools how about that I'll read you the essay because this is what I'm saying dude this is part of our school system this is work this is everything everything's connected man I sound like too much of a hippie now but whatever Ben continues When we know something intellectually, we do so by holding it apart from ourselves. We look at it with a sense of separation and objectification. And when we do this, we obstruct the process by preferencing reasons over feelings. This is a cultural bias, okay, that has process of relationships by preferencing reason over feeling, okay? The cultural bias that has been germinating since Descartes. Okay, Descartes, for those of you who are uncultured. (laughs) Perhaps even longer. We tend to not think of ourselves as species. Oh my gosh. We tend to not think of ourselves, our species, as part of nature, which I also talk about in the second, no, the first part of the forest therapy series. It's called species supremacism, by the way. For those of you who are unfamiliar, people who think that they're somehow above nature rather than part of the web of life. So Ben says, instead we think there is a dichotomy of nature and civilization, the dichotomy of humans and nature. We objectify living things as natural resources and sometimes we do this to humans as well. We describe people as human resources, bro. Think about the use of human labor resource exploitation. We do not see that each tree, each deer, each mountain is its own unique being. We think of them as macroscopic categories, as if all trees of all species are the same. This is the danger of logical, rational thinking, that it deprives living things of their uniqueness, of their dignity as individuals. We tend to be horrified when people do this to each other. Such an act is often a prerequisite of war and genocide. Yikes. When people are reduced to a category and not as unique individuals. Woof, let that one sink in. How about that, huh? How about that? Does that is that not hitting a little bit too close to home for ya? Because it sure fucking did to me. So. Why does it not equally horrify us. When we do it to every other living thing on the planet. I mean unfortunately. This is my words now. Even genocide apparently doesn't horrify some people. Some living humans. Never mind the genocides of other species. Or the fact that we're in the sixth mass extinction right now. Anyone think of that? Whatever. Whatever. Force therapy begins to mend this fractured worldview by inviting people to engage with beings through their senses, not their intellects. Whereas the mind tends to focus on what can know through abstraction, the body reflexively focuses on what it can know through direct sensory contact. And when we explore the world in this way, we begin to notice that not two beings are entirely the same. Forest therapy demonstrates a truth about this world that we are conditioned to overlook. That this world is alive. It is not an object to be studied. Quick aside, I encourage you to go look up the Gaia hypothesis. G-A-I-A. Gaia hypothesis hypothesizes about this: how our Earth, as a living organism species survive by tending relationships with other species nothing in nature survives by itself of course we are like this as well we must also learn to love the more than human world not appreciate it for its aesthetic beauty or economic utility but to love it as we love our children to love it for no reason other than we genuinely desire its happiness and recognize that its happiness is competent into our own excuse me i misread that Recognize that its happiness is component to our own. What did I say? Competent? (laughs) That's funny. We're not very competent. But I hope we become competent through this practice of force therapy, y'all. So in brief conclusion, Ben Page continues to write, I believe that on the surface, forest therapy looks very simple, and in many ways it is. However, there is a subtle sophistication that buttresses that simplicity. What we are doing as guides, what we as guides are doing in this forest therapy, is not just taking people into the woods and in doing so, helping them boost their immune systems. Go listen to the first part of my series to find out how it boosts your immune system. There is so much more that is happening, most of which happens below the threshold of comprehension. So in your unconscious, or maybe you're not processing it intellectually, but you intuitively know. These are my words back to the program. It is a gentle and slow revolution in consciousness. It is not a violent revolt against the status quo. Although I wish it were, but it is a subtle, this is the subtle version to any radicalized attempts. The work we do has the potential to transform the world and I do not say that humbly. I mean that very, very, very seriously. That's a lie. I guess it is humble because forest therapy recognizes that the forest is doing the work and I'm just the guide opening the door, but I don't want (laughs) that term to transform the world to be devalued by somebody trying to argue that it's too vast of a statement because I don't want you to try and nitpick like that I want you to step out of your intellectual mind and into your intuition and I know that you know that this is important I know that you already knew this right this is ancient knowledge I'm just trying to help you remember it Because humans evolved, this is my words again still, humans evolved in nature, and to it, we must return, I say. To it, we must return, for it cries tears of our destruction. Those are also my words. So, Ben Page says, the work we do has the potential to transform the world, and this is why... We have a rigorous training and certification process. I hope the guides never forget this. And I wrote at the bottom in my own words, I wrote, through sense, not intellect, we will solve this crisis. I don't know, maybe that just tried to make me feel better. (laughs) Um, There's also another quote that was printed on the page by the author, by... Khalid Gibran and it is and forget not that the earth delights to feel your bare feet and the winds long to play with your hair. I get shivers again. Wow. Yeah, so I'm going to go off page now. Oh, that's funny because that was a double entendre. I meant off page as in like off script, off book. But then I remembered that the author of this handbook's last name is Paige. So that's pretty funny, guys. I cracked myself up. If no one... Even if no one else is laughing with me, I laugh with myself. Oh, okay. So I really, 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 really hope that what I just read affirmed reaffirmed things that were already true to your soul i think a lot of people are starting to wake up into consciousness right now i think there's a lot of people that need this and are reaching out for this they're reaching out for their ecological selves because your ecological self in my opinion is another word for your self after ego death I think that nature is a great conduit for the death of ego and when I I say that I mean to use the terminology of the association that psychological mirror because (laughs) it's the same way Humans mirror each other. We have mirror neurons. We not only mimic behaviors and language, but we also project. We project our own psyche onto others when we interact with them, and that's why oftentimes if somebody is accusing you of something that is false or they're Directing their emotions and anger towards you. Or bullying you or saying mean things to you or trying to hurt you. The thing is coming out of their mouths. is often a better reflection of their internal state than it is a reflection of you. Listen really hard. Listen hard to what people say. And I'm going to come back to how this relates to forest therapy soon. But... Shout out to Dante Nero On the Beige Phillips show He said You have two ears And one mouth So you should be listening twice as much as you speak It's ironic that I'm saying that on a podcast Where all I'm doing is talking I know But I carry that through my life And my day to day I have a hard time not talking As you know if you've listened to my second episode Can we play the quiet game but I try, I really still try. That is something that I try. With people, it's very hard for me, but in nature, it's easy. And that's why anyone else who relates to what I just said, I want you to follow through on this forest therapy thing. Because it's like the super highway of ego death. The same way psychedelics are the super highway of ego death, or the same way that vision quest for Amos Clifford, if you've listened to the first part of my series of forest therapy. The way that vision quests were his version of ego death, and how he's trying to make forest therapy, the standard sequence of forest therapy, uh, an accessible and condensed way to accelerate this same process. So when I say people reflect back at themselves. I mean, if something somebody is doing is bothering you, you know, like if you're interacting with someone and the way they're speaking is bothering you or something they're saying is bothering you or their characteristics are bothering you, take a stop in your sentence or your thought process before you say anything else and just think, why? Why is this causing a reaction in me? Why am I becoming reactionary at the thought of this? Is it because... I see these characteristics in myself and I don't like these parts of myself and so I'm annoyed when I see them in other people? Am I annoyed because... I don't know. There's a million reasons why. But I'm saying look inwards. Check your ego before you become reactionary. Reactive, I should say. Before you become reactive. Check your ego just for a sec and be like, where is this reaction coming from? Is this a genuine emotional response that I should communicate in the moment because it's relevant or is this my ego being triggered or is this trauma being triggered that's another important one if you're triggered in your traumas or something be aware of how you react to other people and let that out on other people because it says a lot more about you than it does about them right like it's not a cute look so when you do psychedelics or when you spend time alone in the forest or in nature. Now you have that psychological mirror, but no other human to reflect it back at you. You realize that the mirror is within yourself. That's when you realize the mirror is within yourself. And that you see... Your world, your life, your experience is a projection of your conscious experience and your mind and your thoughts and your narrative, your internal dialogue. So when you sit alone in the forest, like what we read earlier, how some people who may struggle with body image have an eating disorder or body dysmorphia or low self-esteem people with those thoughts or feelings go into the forest and they notice oh my gosh look all the trees look at all these plants look they're all gnarled and bent and broken and imperfect and different and covered in scars lumps and bumps they're covered in a story they tell a story the the markings on their bark or their outer exteriors are actually beautiful in how they're different because they all tell their own story. They're all individuals, just like how you realize humans are all individuals. And that the danger in grouping things into a larger collective as we said people will group a demographic into a stereotype that is false. And then act upon it. But but by doing that it dehumanizes the individuals within that demographic you are grouping. And you begin to treat this demographic as if they weren't even humans worthy of your equality and empathy. It's like you're othering. The distancing of it all. Is... Horrible! look what it's done in history. Look what being caught up so much in our intellect has got like look where it's taken us. look where it's got us. Look at how in my first two episodes, I talk about news articles of things happening in Canada right now, and how they're they're all a byproduct of these lack of connections. They're a byproduct of humans thinking that they're above the earth and nature, humans thinking that species supremacism and their <laughs> intellect somehow make them entitled to overexploit every other species that we share this planet with, that we coexist with, that we couldn't live without, by the way. This lack of nature connection is not only detrimental to the environment. And to other species and to groups of humans that you have dehumanized. <sighs> i lost my train of thought because I just get so upset. I get so frustrated. <sighs> but it also shows in ourselves. Look at how everyone fills the void with alcohol, drugs, sex meaningless relationships, technology, video games, social media. We're all seeking to fill some void. We all feel empty on the inside. We know that this lifestyle is not what we're meant for. So not only is this lack of nature connection detrimental to the environment, it's detrimental to our own self and our health. It's detrimental to our communities, our interpersonal relationships, our interspecies relationships. And beyond our health impacts and physiological mental health impacts right now from our lack of nature exposure, spending so much time inside in the concrete jungle, beyond that, we're killing ourselves. Because as we kill so many species and destroy ecosystems, we destroy our own home. If I talk about the salmon stocks on the coast, the Pacific salmon, we're so close to making them extinct. And as soon as they go, salmon are a keystone species for coastal ecosystems. As soon as the salmon go, the whole ecosystem collapses. People act like that's not a serious thing that will affect us. <laughs> like it'll somehow be separate from us that our concrete palaces will somehow protect us. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that humans are like cockroaches and that a few select wealthy affluent assholes will somehow find a way to adapt to this coming change. But this is why climate change and environmentalism is at the intersection of social justice and equality is because those who are causing and perpetuating climate change and environmental degradation the most those who are profiting off of the destruction of a planet and people are the only ones who will be able to afford to adapt to it everybody who has the least to do With anthropogenic climate change and industrialization and environmental degradation and resource exploitation. People who live the least capitalist industrialized lifestyles are the ones most affected by the effects of climate change and environmental degradation. And the perturbations of earth systems. And yet somehow so many people around us can sit back and negate with meaningless arguments. Arguments deface devalue what all I just said I spent New Year's Eve on the year from 19 no it was from 2019 to 2020 I spent New Year's Eve the countdown like I'm talking 10 9 8 I'm talking the countdown of midnight I spent with me and my childhood friend who is also in he's in earth and ocean sciences and ge- no he's in geography I think He graduated from geography, but we had classes together because of my minor. So him and I obviously are both very passionate about the environment. And we spent the countdown of New Year's beefing with a family friend's mom. Okay, so every New Year's, we like have all of our family friends get together and the kids and the parents, like even though the kids are all adults now, we also like get together and play like this... Silly cardboard box game. And the parents all get too drunk. Now the kids also sometimes get drunk. But I personally don't really like to drink. (laughs) And it's normally a really fun time. But somehow. I slipped. I slipped up. And ended up in a conversation. I plopped down. Accidentally into a conversation. That led to like an hour long fucking debate. Between someone's mom. And who I've known my entire life. This bitch was like my second mom. I have like three moms, okay? I have three sets of parents because I was raised with three families since we were babies and we all lived side by side by side and we're like running back and forth between each other's houses or whatever, you know? I'm very thankful for that because if I didn't have other adult role models to model behavior for me, I don't know who the fuck I would be today, dude. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway. I ended up in a conversation on New Year's In which my friend and I were arguing with someone's mom about climate change. Because apparently... And I didn't know this. I thought this mom was the best mom out of all the moms. This was my favorite mom for a while when I was a kid. I thought this mom was my favorite mom. And then I came into adulthood and realized this mom has some right fucked up beliefs. huh? So apparently this bitch is a climate denier. Ah, I didn't know that. Apparently this bitch is a climate denier. Which is shocking because this individual is also highly educated, which is concerning. I want to remind you that just because somebody has a very, very high up education in academia does not mean that they're not also misinformed and uneducated in other ways. Just the same as people who think that they have shit all figured out. No, no, I don't have things all figured out. I'll be the first to say that. The more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. We don't know anything. The only truth in this world is that there is no capital T truth, okay? However, I'm still in it arguing about this shit because I got to cling to something, okay? So I had to cling. (laughs) I have to cling to the fact that I'm pretending I do know everything about climate change in order to have this argument, okay? I just needed to do that quick run around so you don't try and come for me again, okay? In In this context, fuck yes, I do know everything about climate change. Shut the fuck up, okay? But like spiritually like no i know i don't know everything we don't know everything science doesn't know everything you know so (laughs) there we sit and this woman this educated woman is sitting there telling me and my friend about how climate change is merely an attempt at fear-mongering fabricated by capitalists this person's a libertarian okay like they're like doomsday prepper actually apparently which is even more wild i didn't even know um so so that just is also funny because it's like we're against the same people but like in a different way do you know what i mean (laughs) like we're like fuck the capitalists but then we totally went in different directions like and then we really like did not read the same end of the book right so so she's like this is an attempt at fear mongering. They're trying to keep people in submission in control by using the fear of a climate change and is arguing that, yeah, you know, perturbations of the climate cycle are normal in history and in earth systems. And I'm like, yeah, but like, like anthropogenic shit though, you know? And then she's like, no, it's all fake. She's like, it's fake. It's fake news. She's like, oh, it's fake news. And I was like, my friend and I were like, huh? What? Sorry, huh? And you know we had to fight it out, respectfully. We have intellectual debates. I don't actually fight with people. Although I do fantasize about getting in a fist fight one day. I always have. It's been a dream of mine. But I'm really a nonviolent person. I'm a (laughs) pussy. My point is... We really didn't make it very far. Eventually, her husband came and joined the conversation after they realized we completely missed the countdown and celebration of New Year's. He came down, he's like, Oh, there you guys are. What do you.? And he, like, heard part of the conversation and he was like, Okay, okay, no, uh, no, no. And he was like, I said her name. He's like, No, we're not doing this here right now, hon. And he was, he pulled her away and we laughed. He was like, n- No, n- no, we're not having, we're no. He was like, no. Like, he's on her side, too. But even he was like, this is not the time nor place. Oh. I don't know. It scares me, though. Like, yeah, she's not wrong. She, okay, she So she was like, there's a lot of literature. She encouraged me to go look up a lot of literature, okay? She was also using academia on her side, which is the thing that scares me. Because, like I've said, statistics, you know, like, they're really good at proving your own bias. So take it with a grain of salt if you will the fact that we were both using science to try and argue our points but they were completely different points is kind of sketch but I don't remember any particular articles but she was saying that there is literature out there that we should look into about how this is natural part of the cycle and how it is being used as an attempt at fear mongering to keep people people in submission I really personally don't <laughs> Ascribe to that narrative. I don't understand where it's coming from. I really did minimal research after that conversation for her side of the story because I was shooketh. But there's also a lot of literature to indicate that these concerns are very relevant, um, and environmental degradation is a genuine concern. Actually, hold up, pause, 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 pause. Let me put in a clause here. I did not specify, obviously this woman agrees that environmental degradation is a problem. This woman agrees that pollution, like, you know, like plastics in the ocean, our landfills, like pollution, like of chemicals everywhere else in like water systems and the air are problems. Um, Overfishing, she agrees, is a problem. Specifically climate change, anthropogenic climate change, she disagrees with. And I just, to that person, I say, I hope you do forest therapy and you think about your life. Keep bye. Have a good day. I love you.